Hi there! Welcome to another episode of Stories That Made Us. This episode, and in the next two, we tell the Jewish tale of man's creation, disgrace, punishment, and expulsion from the Garden of Eden. It's the story of the first of humanity. It's the life and times of Adam and Eve. This myth requires no introduction. And so, without any fanfare, let's get straight to the tale, which has been recounted from the book titled The Legends of the Jews by Louis Ginsberg. Details are in the show notes. With ten sayings God created the world, although a single saying would have sufficed. God desired to make known how severe is the punishment to be meted out to the wicked, who destroy a world created with as many as ten sayings, and how goodly is the reward destined for the righteous, who preserve a world created with as many as ten sayings. The world was made for man, though he was the last comer among its creation. This was God's design. Mankind was to find all things ready for him. God was the host who prepared dainty dishes, set the table, and then led his guests to his seat. At the same time, man's late appearance on earth is to convey an admonition to humility. Let him beware of being proud, lest he invite the retort that the gnat is older than he. The superiority of man to the other creatures is apparent in the very manner of his creation, altogether different from theirs. He is the only one who was created by the hand of God. The rest sprang from the word of God. The body of man is a microcosm, the whole world in a miniature, and the world in turn is a reflex of man. The hair upon his head corresponds to the wood of the earth his tears to a river, his mouth to the ocean. Also, the world resembles the ball of his eye. The ocean that encircles the earth is like unto the white of the eye. The dry land is the iris, Jerusalem the pupil, and the temple the image mirrored in the pupil of the eye. But man is more than mere image of this world. He unites both heavenly and earthly qualities within himself. In four, he resembles the angels. In four, the beasts. His power of speech, his discriminating intellect, his upright walk, the glance of his eye, they all make an angel of him. But on the other hand, he eats and drinks, secretes the waste matter in his body, propagates his kind and dies like the beast of the field. Therefore God said before the creation of man, The celestials are not propagated, but they are immortal. The beings on earth are propagated, but they die. I will create man to be the union of the two, so that when he sins, when he behaves like a beast, death shall overtake him. But if he refrains from sin, he shall live forever. God now bade all beings in heaven and on earth contribute to the creation of man, and he himself took part in it. Thus, they all will love man, and if he should sin, 
they will be interested in his preservation. The whole world naturally was created for the pious, the God-fearing man, whom Israel produces with the helpful guidance of the law of God revealed to him. It was, therefore, Israel who was taken into special consideration at the time man was made. All other creatures were instructed to change their nature, if Israel should ever need their help in the course of his history. The sea was ordered to divide before Moses, and the heavens to give ear to the words of their leaders. The sun and the moon were bidden to stand still before Joshua, the ravens to feed Elijah, the fire to spare the three youths in the furnace, the lion to do no harm to Daniel, the fish to spew forth Jonah, and the heavens to open before Ezekiel. In his modesty, God took counsel with the angels before the creation of the world regarding his intent of making man. He said, For the sake of Israel, I will create the world. As I shall make a division between the light and darkness, so will I in time to come do for Israel and Egypt. Take darkness shall be over the land, and the children of Israel shall have light in their dwellings as I shall make a separation between the waters under the firmament and the waters above the firmament. So I will do for Israel. I will divide the waters for him when he crosses the Red Sea. As on the third day I shall create plants, so will I do for Israel. I will bring forth manna for him in the wilderness. I shall create luminaries to divide day from night, so will I do for Israel. I will therefore go before him by day in a pillar of cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire, as I shall create the fowl of the air and the fishes of the sea. So will I do for Israel. I will bring quails for him from the sea. As I shall breathe the breath of life into the nostrils of man, so will I do for Israel. I will give the Torah unto him, the tree of life. The angels marveled that so much love should be lavished upon this people of Israel. And God told them, On the first day of creation I shall make the heavens and stretch them out. So will Israel raise up the tabernacle as the dwelling place of my glory. On the second day I shall put a division between the terrestrial waters and the heavenly waters. So will he hang upon a veil in the tabernacle to divide the holy place and the most holy. On the third day I shall make the earth put forth grass and herb. So will he, in obedience to my command, eat herbs on the first night of the Passover and prepare showbread for me. On the fourth day I shall make the luminaries. So will he make a golden candlestick for me. On the fifth day I shall create the birds, so will he fashion the cherubim with outstretched wings. On the sixth day I shall create man, so will Israel set aside a man for the sons of Aaron as the high priest for my service. Accordingly, the whole creation was conditional. God said to the things he made on the first six days, If Israel accepts the Torah, you will continue and endure, otherwise I shall turn everything back into chaos again.
The whole world was thus kept in suspense and dread until the day of the revelation on Sinai, when Israel received and accepted the Torah, and so fulfilled the condition made by God at a time when he created the universe. God, in his infinite wisdom, having resolved to create man, he asked counsel of all around him before he proceeded to execute his purpose. An example to man, be he never so great and distinguished not to scorn the advice of the humble and lowly. First God called upon heaven and earth, and then upon all other things he had created, and at last upon the angels. The angels were not all of one opinion. The angel of love favoured the creation of man, because he would be affectionate and loving. But the angel of truth was opposed to it, because he would be full of lies. While the angel of justice favoured it because he would practise justice, the angel of peace opposed it because he would be quarrelsome. To invalidate his protest, God cast the angel of truth down from heaven to earth. And when the others cried out against such contemptuous treatment of their companion, God said, Truth will always bring back out of the earth. The objections of the angels would have been much stronger had they known the whole truth about man. God had told them only about the pious, and had concealed from them that there would be reprobates among mankind too. And yet, though they knew but half the truth, the angels were nevertheless prompted to cry out, What is man, that you are so mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? God replied, The birds of the air and the fish of the sea, what were they created for? Of what avail a larder full of appetizing dainties, and no guest to enjoy them? And the angels could not but exclaim, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Do as is pleasing in thy sight. For not a few of the angels their opposition bore fatal consequences. When God summoned the band under the archangel Michael, and asked for their opinion on the creation of man, they answered scornfully, what is man that you are so mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? God thereupon stretched forth his little finger, and all the angels were consumed by fire except their chief Michael, and the same fate befell the band under the leadership of Archangel Gabriel. He alone of all was saved from destruction. The third band of angels consulted was commanded by Archangel Labiel. Taught by the horrible fate of his predecessors, he warned his troop. You have seen what misfortune overtook the angels who said, What is man that you are mindful of him? Let us have the care not to do likewise, lest we suffer the same dire punishment. For God will not refrain from doing in the end what he has planned. Therefore, it is advisable for us to yield to his wishes. Thus warned, the angel spoke, Lord of the world, it is well that you've thought of creating man. Do you create him according to your will? And as for us, 
we will be his attendants and his ministers, and reveal unto him all our secrets. Thereupon, God changed Labiel's name to Raphael, the rescuer, because his host of angels had been rescued by his sage advice. He was appointed the angel of healing, who has in his safekeeping all the celestial remedies, the types of medical remedies used on earth. When at last the ascent of the angels to the creation of man was given, God said to Gabriel, Go and fetch me dust from the four corners of the earth, and I will create man therewith. Gabriel went forth to do the bidding of the Lord, but the earth drove him away and refused to let him gather up the dust from it. Gabriel remonstrated, Why, O earth, do you not hearken unto the voice of the Lord? who founded you upon the waters without props or pillars. The earth replied and said, I am destined to become a curse and to be cursed through man if God himself does not take the dust from me. No one else shall ever do it. When God heard this, he stretched out his hand, took off the dust of the ground and created the first man therewith. Of set purpose the dust was taken from all four corners of the earth, so that if a man from the east should happen to die in the west, or a man from west in the east, the earth should not dare refuse to receive the dead and tell him to go whence he was taken. Wherever a man chances to die, and wheresoever he is buried, there will he return to the earth from which he sprang. Also, the dust was of various colors, red, black, white, and green, red for the blood, black for the bowels, white for the bones and veins, and green for the pale skin. At this early moment, the Torah interfered. She addressed herself to God. O Lord of the world, the world is thine. Thou canst do with it as seemeth good in thine eyes. But the man thou art now creating will be few of days and full of trouble and sin. If it be not thy purpose to have forbearance and patience with him, it were better not to call him into being. God replied, Is it for naught I am called long-suffering and merciful? The grace and loving-kindness of God revealed themselves particularly in his taking one spoonful of dust from the spot where in time to come the altar would stand, saying, I shall take man from the place of atonement, that he may endure. The care which God exercised in fashioning every detail of the body of man is as not incompared with his solicitude for the human soul. The soul of man was created on the first day, for it is the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. Thus, instead of being the last, man is really the first work of creation. This spirit, or to call it by its usual name, the soul of man possesses five different powers. By means of one of them she escapes from the body every night, 
rises up to heaven and fetches new life thence for man. With the soul of Adam, the souls of all the generations of men were created. They are stored up in a promptuary in the seventh of the heavens, whence they are drawn as they are needed for human body after human body. The soul and body of man are united in this way. When a woman has conceived, the angel of the night, Layla, carries the sperm before the god, and god decrees what manner of human being shall become of it, whether it shall be male or female, strong or weak, rich or poor, beautiful or ugly, long or short, fat or thin, and what all its other qualities shall be. Piety and wickedness alone are left to the determination of man himself. Then. God makes a sign to the angel appointed over the souls, saying, Bring me the soul of so and so, which is hidden in paradise, whose name is so and so, and whose form is so and so. The angel brings the designated soul, and she bows down when she appears in the presence of God and prostrates herself before him. At that moment, God issues the command, Let this bear the soul, enter the sperm. The soul opens her mouth and pleads, O Lord of the world, I am well pleased with the world in which I have been living since the day on which thou didst call me into being. Why dost thou now desire to have me enter this impure sperm? I who am holy and pure and a part of thy glory. God consoles her. The world in which I shall cause thee to enter is better than the world in which thou hast lived hitherto, and when I created thee, it was only for this purpose. The soul is then forced to enter the sperm against her will, and the angel carries her back to the womb of the mother. Two angels are detailed to watch that she shall not leave it, nor drop out of it, and a light is set above her whereby the soul can see from one end of the world to the other. In the morning, an angel carries her to paradise and shows her the righteous, who sit there in their glory, with crowns upon their head. The angel then says to the soul, Do you know who these are? She replies in the negative, and the angel goes on. These whom you behold before you, were formed like you in the wombs of their mother. When they came into the world, they observed God's Torah and his commandments. Therefore they became the partakers of this bliss which you see them enjoy. Know that you also will one day depart from the world below, and if you will observe God's Torah, then will you be found worthy of sitting with these pious ones. But if not, you will be doomed to the other place. In the evening, the angel takes the soul to hell, and there points out the sinners whom the angels of destruction are smiting with fires. The sinners are all the while crying out in woe. But no mercy is shown unto them. The angel then questions the soul as before. Do you know who these are? 
and as before, the reply is negative. The angel continues. These who are consumed with fire were created like you. When they were put into the world, they did not observe God's Torah and his commandments. Therefore, they have come to this disgrace which you see them suffer. No, your destiny is also to depart from the world. Be just, therefore, and not wicked, that you may gain the future world. Between morning and evening, the angel carries the soul around and shows her where she will live and where she will die and the place where she will be buried. And he takes her through the whole world and points out the just and the sinners and all other things. In the evening, he replaces the soul in the womb of the mother and there she remains for nine months. When the time arrives for her to emerge from the womb into the great open world, the same angel addresses the soul. The time has come for you to go abroad into the open world. The soul demurs. Why do you want to make me go forth into the open world? The angel replies. Know that as you were formed against your will, so now you will be born against your will and against your will you shall die, and against your will you shall give account of yourself before the King of Kings, the Holy One. Blessed be He. But the soul is reluctant to leave her place. Then the angel flips the babe on the nose, extinguishes the light at his head, and brings him forth into the world against his will. Immediately the child forgets all his soul has seen and learned, and he comes into the world crying, for he loses a place of shelter and security and rest. When the time comes for man to quit this world, the same angel appears and asks him, Do you recognize me? And man replies, Yes, but why have you come to me today? And did you not come on any other day? The angel says, To take you away from the world, for the time of your departure has arrived. Then man falls to weeping, and his voice penetrates to all ends of the world. Yet no creature hears his voice, except the cock alone. Man remonstrates with the angel, from two worlds did you take me, and into this world, against my wishes, did you bring me? But the angel reminds him, Did I not tell you that you were formed against your will, and you would be born against your will, and against your will would you die, and against your will will you have to give your account and reckoning of yourself before the Holy One? Blessed be he. Like all creatures formed on the six days of creation, Adam came from the hands of the Creator fully and completely developed. He was not like a child, but like a man of twenty years of age. The dimensions of his body were gigantic, reaching from heaven to earth, or what amounts to the same, from east to west. 
Among later generations of men, there were but few who in a measure resembled Adam in his extraordinary size and physical perfections. Samson possessed his strength, Saul his neck, Absalom his hair, Asahel his fleetness of foot, Uziah his forehead, and Josiah his nostrils, Zedekiah his eyes, and Zerubbabel his voice. History shows that these physical excellencies were no blessings to many of their possessors. They invited the ruin of almost all. Samson's extraordinary strength caused his death. Saul killed himself by cutting his neck with his own sword. While speeding swiftly, Asahel was pierced by Abner's spear. Absalom was caught by his hair in an oak, and thus suspended, met his death. Uziah was smitten with leprosy upon his forehead. The darts that killed Josiah entered through his nostrils, and Zedekiah's eyes were blinded. The generality of men inherited as little of the beauty as of the potentious size of their first father. The fairest women compared with Sarah are as apes compared with a human being. Sarah's relation to Eve is the same, and again, Eve was but as an ape compared with Adam. His person was so handsome that the very sole of his foot obscured the splendor of the sun. His spiritual qualities kept pace with his personal charm, for God has fashioned his soul with particular care. He is the image of God, and as God fills the world, so the soul of Adam fills the human body. God after all created the soul in his image, and as God fills the world, so the soul fills the human body. And as God sees all things, and is seen by none, so the soul sees all, but cannot be seen. As God guides the world, so the soul guides the body. As God in his holiness is pure, so is the soul. And as God dwells in secret, so does the soul. When God was about to put a soul into Adam's clod-like body, he said, at which point shall I breathe the soul into him? Into the mouth? Nay, for then he will use it to speak ill of his fellow man. Into the eyes? With them he will wink lustfully. Into the ears? They will hearken to slander and blasphemy. I will breathe the soul into his nostrils, as they discern the unclean and rejected, and take in the fragrant. So the pious will shun sin, and will cleave to the words of the Torah. The perfections of Adam's soul showed themselves as soon as he received her, indeed, while he was still without life. In the hour that intervened between breathing a soul into the first man and his becoming alive, God revealed the whole history of mankind to him. He showed him each generation and its leaders, each generation and its prophets, each generation and its teachers, each generation and its scholars, each generation and its statesmen, each generation and its judges, each generation and its pious members, 
each generations and its average commonplace members and each generation and its impious members the tale of their years the number of their days the reckoning of their hours and the measure of their steps were all made known unto him of his own free will adam relinquished 70 of his allotted years his appointed span was to be a thousand years one of the lord's days but he saw that only a single minute of life was apportioned to the great soul of david and he made a gift of 70 years to david's soul reducing his own years to 930 the wisdom of adam displayed itself to greatest advantage when he gave names to the animals then it appeared that god in combating the arguments of the angels that opposed the creation of man had spoken well when he insisted that man would possess more wisdom than they themselves when adam was barely an hour old god assembled the whole world of animals before him and the angels the latter were called upon to name the different kinds but they were not equal to the task adam however spoke without hesitation o lord of the world the proper name for this animal is ox for this one is horse and for this is lion and for this one is camel and so he called all animals in turn by name suiting the name to the peculiarity of the animal then god asked what his name was to be and he said adam because he had been created out of adama the dust of the earth again god asked him what he shall call god and adam replied adonai or lord because you are the lord over all creatures this is the very name god had given unto himself the name by which all the angels call him the name that will remain immutable evermore but without the gift of the holy spirit adam could not have found names for all he was in very truth a prophet and his wisdom a prophetic quality The names of the animals were not the only inheritance handed down by Adam to the generations after him. For mankind owes all crafts to him, especially the art of writing, and he was the inventor of all the 70 languages. And still another task he accomplished for his descendants. God showed Adam the whole earth, and Adam designated what places to be settled later by men. and what places to remain waste that's all for the first part of the three part tale of adam and eve in the next episode we recount the creation of eve of satan and the fall of mankind so stay tuned for the next episode Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a feedback. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter and Instagram. Our social media handle is at stories tht mde us. That's at stories tht mde us. 
You may choose to email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. That's all we have for this episode. Until the next, goodbye.